Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Today we'll hear about a new program designed to recruit more teachers of color in New Jersey. When I'm in the classroom, my expectations for students remain high, even though I know what's up against them. New York State is launching a public education campaign on recreational marijuana. People should be mindful about if they're smoking out uh, around others, they should be mindful about their smoke and keep it away from others. There's a special Art Yard jazz concert tonight in New Jersey. We'll talk with drummer and composer Arthur Vint. Ennio Morricone's 90th birthday occurred a couple years ago and I had a, another opportunity to perform his music again. And we'll learn about the sport of pickleball from former champion golfer Sherry Steinhauer, who's now an avid pickleball player. But pickleball is basically, the way I like to describe it, is ping pong on steroids. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. New Jersey has a new program to help recruit more black men to teaching. It's called the Men of Color Achievers Program, or MOCA and will be run by Rowan University. Black men only make up 2% of the national teacher workforce. In New Jersey, where youth of color makes up 59% of the student body, people of color only make up 17% of the state's teacher workforce. Black educators like Trenton Elementary School teacher Bobby Morgan says the program is critically needed, especially in low-income urban school districts. A lot of the, the, the biases that people carry with them affect how you show up as an educator. And so when I'm in the classroom, my expectations for students remain high, even though I know what's up against them. Morgan admits there are many challenges for both teachers and students of color. You leave, that, you leave them vulnerable and then say, okay, well, why are they not performing better? Well, you can't wound something, affect something deeply, and then ask it to be, to be made whole unless you do the work of healing it. Rowan University will select 25 candidates for the two-year pilot program to become teachers and help fill the need primarily in South and Central Jersey. Studies suggest students of color perform better when they have at least one teacher of color. Sean Smith is a black elementary school teacher in Trenton. He says he works extra hard to connect with students who have trauma due to adverse childhood experiences like poverty. It's a job that's very impactful and it's very difficult um, at the same time just because we don't go home with um, a lot of our kids. Rowan University says that participants can start the program now and begin teaching as early as September. New York State is indeed launching a public education campaign on recreational marijuana. Over the next three months, the state is putting public service announcements on the radio, television, billboards, and social media about state laws for using recreational marijuana. Freeman Klopot is with the New York Office of Cannabis Management. In New York State, you're legally allowed to smoke cannabis anywhere you can uh, smoke tobacco. There's a couple of uh, caveats to that, the biggest one being anywhere on federal property. Obviously, it's uh, still illegal uh, under federal law. People should be mindful about if they're smoking out uh, around others, they should be mindful about their smoke and keep it away from others. If they have cannabis in their home, they should lock it up and store it away from, from kids and pets. Klopot stresses it's illegal to get behind the wheel after having recreational marijuana. How are you feeling? If you've used cannabis recently uh, and, and you feel differently, you're going to be driving differently. And being aware of that different feeling and, and making sure you don't get behind the wheel is really important. Marijuana is now legal in New York State for those 21 and older. However, there are no legal adult use sales in New York State yet. That's expected to come near the end of the year. 
Joining us on the WBGO Journal are two individuals very responsible for what happens tonight at Art Yard. That's 13 Front Street in Frenchtown, New Jersey. Art Yard recently announced its new programming for the brand new McDonald Theater, a 162-seat state-of-the-art theater that will house music, dance, film, theater, and much more. And you can see it in the backdrop here if you're joining us right now as Scott Sheldon in his backdrop is the McDonald Theater. Scott Sheldon comes to Art Yard as the concert curator. He's also the co-owner of the Frenchtown Bookshop. Scott, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting us. And also here is the person responsible for all the music that you're going to hear on April 9th, Saturday. That is tonight, if you're listening right now on the WBGO Journal, Arthur Vint and his 11-piece jazz orchestra will be performing movie soundtracks of Ennio Morricone. And you remember the good, bad, and the ugly? What a wonderful tune that was, but so much more from Morricone, of course, winning Oscars as well. Arthur, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Very curious to see how you first got interested in the work of Ennio Morricone. Uh, well, I've always been a fan of the movies and uh, the music that goes along with it. I think uh, those spaghetti westerns from the 1960s were a perfect melding of uh, cinematography and soundtrack. Um, and it just, it really shows people how important a score is to uh, telling the narrative of a story and creating mood. Um, I'm originally from Arizona. I grew up in Tucson, where there's kind of a, uh, people are preoccupied with the uh, kind of Western lore. So I grew up with cowboy culture and, and Western culture. And um, a lot of the music that comes from Tucson also owes a debt to Morricone. So I'm not unique in, in being influenced by him, but I was uh, first approached to perform his music by a movie theater in Brooklyn called the Nighthawk Theater for the 50th anniversary of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. They knew that I had had some of his music in my band's repertoire and wanted to know if I'd like to perform as part of their uh, 50th anniversary showing of the film. So I started writing out even more parts and the band grew. Initially my band was a five piece, then it grew to seven and then eight and now 11. As I keep writing, hearing more parts and trying to, to uh, write them out for people. And then Ennio Morricone's 90th birthday occurred a couple years ago and I had a, another opportunity to perform his music again. So I've kind of become the Morricone guy <laughs> in, in the New York area at least. Um, and have released an album of his music, an uh, album called Death Rides a Horse, and have performed several concerts now of his music at uh, different performing arts centers and uh, cultural institutions. Uh, an exciting thing that we're doing for the Art Yard performance is we're going to be performing with actual projections from the films. So it's not going to be a live score per se, but it's going to be a multimedia experience with uh, music arranged, from the films accompanied by some great scenes and uh, uh, instances from the, from the films being projected behind us. Scott, you're smiling as you hear Arthur talk because obviously you must be a fan of Marconi as well and Arthur Vince's music or you wouldn't have him at Art Yard. I can't wait for this event. 
And when I hear Art talking about it, I, I just wish that it was happening right now. Uh, there is a two-story screen, a movie screen in the McDonald Theater that these clips are gonna be projected against. The sound is state-of-the-art for this 11-piece band, uh, and the music is fabulous. So um, yeah, I'm smiling. Give us a little background on Art Yard. Uh, Art Yard is an uh, alternative contemporary art center that exists in this little 1500 person river town uh, on the Delaware River in Hunterdon County. Uh, it is um, uh, since last summer has been in new space at 13 Front Street, a 12,000 square foot uh, contemporary art museum space with the 162 seat theater in it. It sees itself as a uh, collaborative venture, so it brings in different presenters and, uh, and creators to be part of their program. Uh, and so these concerts, uh, which there's maybe six or eight this season, are a joint production of the Art Yard and the Frenchtown Bookshop, which is the bookshop I own in town. When it comes to this performance, what would you like people to feel, learn, and understand about Morricone and about the Arthur Vint sound? Well, the, uh, the sound of my, of my band that um, has always been very cinematic. Um, I choose the, as bandmates or associates as the, the band name goes by Arthur Vint and Associates, just because the, it is kind of fluid. Sometimes it is a quintet, sometimes it is 11 people on stage. It's cinematic and I get some of the best jazz musicians in New York to perform with me, even though we, you may not be able to call the music jazz. Uh, it's Im improvisatory, but it's also very cinematic. Um, and it's an amalgam of all the different influences of all the music that I enjoy, because you know, I love classic Blue Note records, but I also appreciate classic country records from the 1960s. And I love Morricone soundtracks, but Vince Giordano and the Nighthawks, you know, are is another part of my personality, hot music from the 1920s. So I try to find ways to mix all that in my my group. And for tonight's performance, great band. We got Kenny Wallison playing vibraphone. Uh, Tony Shear is going to be playing guitar. Um, and uh, Danny Jonacucci is a, is a great band leader in his own right. He'll be joining us on trumpet. Um, I mean, we'd be here all day if I named everybody, but uh, Russell Hall on bass. Uh, I, mean, I mean, and these are all top level jazz musicians, and but they're all having a kick out of it. We had a rehearsal yesterday um, in Midtown, and I mean, it, they haven't played music like this, uh, or they only ever play music like this with me, I should say. <laughs> so they, everyone has a real kick to do something a little different, a little left to center, and um, it's not straight ahead jazz by any means. I mean, but it's uh, jazz influenced, and and that word cinematic just keeps coming back because that's people who reviewed my records use that word. So I've realized it's a pretty good descriptor. <laughs> it paints a picture even without there being pictures. You know, the, that makes sense. Glad you mentioned get a kick out because yeah, it does sound a lot of fun to be a part of your group there and earned your bachelor's degree in jazz performance from William Patterson University and yep. your master's in the Manhattan School of Music, an educator in your own right, teaching at the Little Red Schoolhouse 
in Manhattan through your own private studio. And so your connection to jazz and the various outlets that you've just been talking about make you pretty unique, Arthur. And I think that's a lot of fun. And that's why I think these musicians want to play with you because you're much like we heard John Batiste in his acceptance speech at the Grammys talking about how he brings all different kinds of genres of music together. And it has really become very successful for him. And I'm sure that's the same idea for you, first of all, to enjoy yourselves, but to really experiment and to find different sounds that can attract all kinds of people. Yeah, I, I hope so. Yeah, I'm casting a wide net, as uh, some might say, because um, there is a little bit of something for everyone. And um, when I've performed this music, the Morricone set, I mean, you have people coming who have never listened to jazz coming in. To They're familiar with the films, maybe. Or you have people who are familiar with uh, jazz, but not familiar with the, with the films. And then there's some cross-pollination there. Now, my original music, I have a, a new record that's going to be released, hopefully, this year um, of all original music. So I, I enjoy writing that, too. But for these Morricone things, they're just arrangements where I'm taking what was often orchestral scores, and I transcribed them and, and arranged them to fit uh, this ensemble, which is pretty unique in t of itself. Harmonica, chromatic harmonica, uh, played by Ivanek Pernay, violin, trumpet, uh, saxophone, bass clarinet, that's the horn section, and then we have uh, acoustic guitar, electric guitar, vibraphone, uh, piano, bass, and drums. So kind of a, a unique, but really so many different colors and such a great palette of colors um, from a ranging perspective. You know, the readiness of the, of the harmonica and then trying to get all the different sounds out of the trumpet, flugelhorn with mutes. It was, I learned a lot too in, in the process of, of arranging for the, for the group. Speaking of arranging, presenting, promoting, creating, all part of what both of you do, Scott Sheldon, you have over almost two decades now, presented more than 300 concerts and big names too. You know, Judy Collins, Suzanne Vega, Mark Cohn, Roseanne Cash, Jimmy Webb, Janice Ian, and many more. What is it about music that lights the fire of Scott Sheldon? <laughs> uh, I love the community building part of being a concert presenter uh, to bring uh, hundreds of people together to enjoy that music and to get to know one another, to become a community is uh, my favorite part of it. What are some of the best comments that you've had after a concert that you have promoted or curated that say, I'm doing the right thing. This is making an impact on people's lives. Uh, I, I mostly remember some of the comments that have been made from the stage. A lot of these concerts were done in a church sanctuary with 450 seats. So uh, Colin Hay from uh, Men at Work got up on the stage and he said, nice church you've got here. Reminds me of that one other time I was in a church. I knew I liked you, Scott, because believe it or not, I'm going to see Colin Hay is part of Men at Work very soon as he teams up with Rick Springfield and John Waite. And I can't wait to see that concert as well. Um, I saw Men at Work in their heyday when, uh, you know, all their, the, the, the big first album just went wild. I saw them in Pittsburgh. And believe it or not, the opening act for Men at Work that day was in excess. 
Arthur, I'm sure that the coronavirus pandemic, and Scott, you too, has had a dramatic impact on both of you. We're hoping that we're on the other side of the pandemic, but how has it impacted you both personally and professionally? It changed my whole path. So I'm actually back living in Arizona now full time. I had uh, some opportunities arose um, coming out of the pandemic, um, an opportunity to teach at the University of Arizona, where I'm now a, a professor drum set. Um, and then I've also opened up my own jazz club now, um, a place called the Century Room, which is in the historic Hotel Congress in downtown Tucson. And we uh, opened up in February of this year, and we're now hosting live music four nights a week uh, with a Friday night concert series of uh, national artists. We got some great shows coming up this summer, including Ethan Iverson, uh, Joel Ross, um, Rachel Eckroth, and uh, just lots of really exciting things. Um, saxophonist Will Anderson, who's a bandmate of mine in the Vince Giordano and the Nighthawks, is actually going to be playing on Friday night um, of this coming week. And so that's something that I never thought I'd, I'd be doing. So I'm now going down that path. So I'm joining Scott now as a concert pr presenter and promoter. And it's, um, again, a learning experience for me, but it's it's been rewarding. I've, and I've had lots of great feedback too from both artists and people in the audience because Tucson did not have a, a club um, or, a, or a hub for, for the, uh, especially national acts to be able to come play. We have the Mingus Dynasty actually coming on April 22nd, which is uh, in the following Friday to celebrate Charles Mingus's centennial, uh, the most famous Arizona jazz musician. He was born in uh, Nogales, Arizona at Camp Little, which was an outpost for Buffalo Soldiers, April 22nd, 1922, um, and then eventually moved to Watts and ended up in New York, of course. But uh, the Mingus Dynasty from New York City is going to be performing at my club next Friday. So it's it's pretty cool. Good to hear you're not busy at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a lot, yeah. And I still find time to practice every once in a while. Scott, how has the pandemic impacted you personally? And you were talking about that uh, church kind of venue. You had the Sanctuary Concerts in Chatham, New Jersey, all that time before you moved over to Art Yard. So... How has it impacted you both, as we mentioned, uh, with Arthur professionally and personally? When it comes to um, uh, courage or just guts during the pandemic, I would really hand it to the art yard. Uh, in the middle of the pandemic, they went ahead with the construction of this many multi-million dollar art center. Kudos to uh, Jill Carney and Stephen McDonald, who had that vision and had the, the drive to do it. Uh, so the theater that this concert is going to take place in has the sound system uh, designed by the fellow who did the sound at the Fillmore East and Woodstock. Uh, it has 42 scrims. It has you know a, a, a gorgeous sound insulation system. But all of this, including the uh, multiple galleries and uh, and meeting areas, was set up in the middle of the pandemic. Who knew whether or not this would even ever be occupied or not? So. Uh, I'm, I'm going to reach out and, uh, and pat them on the back for braving the pandemic and creating this space. Was there a time that you remember either a Morricone film or a Western that brings back the music soundtrack feel for you, Scott, that uh, we'll be hearing from Arthur? 
I, I am looking forward to this. I thought I'd just share one thing that um, some people don't know, uh, which is that Ennio Morricone and Sergio Leone were classmates in grade school uh, in Rome and were best friends and knew each other for decades before all of this began. Uh, Leone was started his filmmaking career doing uh, what do they call it? blood and sand the historical dramas? And when the market for those uh, dried up, he went to the Westerns, um, uh, always with uh, Morricone uh, doing the soundtrack. And so and, and when he was filming these uh, movies, he listened to the music of Morricone in the background to kind of inspire the work that he was doing. So this partnership of Leone and Marconi is kind of a labor of love. And I get the sense the same is true of this 11-piece orchestra, which I think is going to add a lot to their performance. Scott, as we wrap up this interview here on the WBGO Journal, for those who want more information about uh, the venue and the concerts, where can they go? The, the website for the Art Yard is artyard.org. Arthur Vint and Scott Sheldon, I want to thank you and uh, congratulate you on the work that you're doing and much success in the future. And thanks for joining us on the WBGO Journal. Pleasure. Thank you. Pickleball is one of the fastest growing sports in the U.S., kind of a combination of tennis, badminton, and ping pong on a smaller outdoor court. One of those players who's become quite competitive in pickleball is former LPGA champion Sherry Steinhauer, who won two major golf championships in her 26-year career and eight total victories. Steinhauer joined me from her patio in Phoenix, Arizona, for a recent edition of my podcast, Sports Jam. It's that competitive feeling that's inside Sherry Steinhauer that has moved from this champion golfer to another sport, and you're playing it pretty well. But you're talking to us. We may hear some birds uh, chirping here today because, hey, you made your living outdoors. Why shouldn't we talk to you on Sports Jam outside? You're right. Yeah, it'll work. I'm used to being outside, so. <laughs> Before we get into all the aspects, because you're also a brand ambassador in this pickleball sport, and we'll talk about Selkirk sport in a moment, but let's talk about the fact that you had this wonderful golf career that really was highlighted with two major victories, two major championships, the 1992 DeMarie Classic and the 2006 Women's British Open. That had to be such a thrill for you Take us to one of those tournaments and what were you thinking and how was it to actually grab the top prize? Well, the first one uh, in 92, the, the DeMaurier Classic, because I hadn't won a tournament before, um, it was, you know, getting that first one is the hardest accomplishment. Uh, it, it, so I was in the final group on the last day and had a chance. And with my parents there, it was an amazing uh, situation. And, and uh, I was fortunate enough to, you know, came down to the last hole. I was one shot ahead and uh, ended up making a par. And the closest competitor, Judy Dickinson, was one shot back and she bogeyed the hole. So I ended up winning by two. And uh, what that was probably the most amazing feeling because, you know, at that point I had been playing golf my whole life and to work so hard towards something and to finally have that all pay off 
that's what I remember most about that win is, wow, all these years, this is what I've been striving for. And you don't get a lot of accomplishments in golf. You know, you don't win that much. So when you do, it's a, it's, it's a pretty unique and special feeling. So that was, that was incredible. The sport of pickleball. How do you describe this sport that really has just blossomed when it comes to people participating? Pickleball is just the most addictive, fun sport. So it's a sport that anybody can play. And the thing that's so great about it is it's so it's very social. And it's not as big as a tennis court. So you, you don't have to run too far. It's more quick movements. But pickleball is basically, the way I like to describe it, is ping pong on steroids. So it's um, on a smaller tennis court size, 44 by 44 feet by 20 feet. And um, you have a paddle and ping pong, ex- or ping pong players are so good at it. And that's what you're basically doing. You have a paddle and you're hitting this uh, plastic ball. And, uh, you know, I marvel at the people. I watch these people play and they're some very like older, older people. And I, I, I marvel at how they play and think, isn't that just great? And then they can be out there with their grandchildren playing. And, and uh, so the thing about pickleball is anyone can play it. Anyone can pick it up. The learning curve is quick to get to a high level is that's hard. That's hard. There's a, probably a point where people just kind of get to and, and um, yeah, they'll get a little bit better, but maybe not make that, that leap to a higher, higher level, but they're playing enough to have fun and interact with their family and friends. And, and uh, so I don't, it's just a, it, it, it's a blast to play. Knowing how you approached the game of golf, you're not going to stop until you're at a high level because you just mentioned you just played three hours today of pickleball. Mm -hmm. And I think we get the feeling that uh, you will not stop until you are at that extremely high level in another sport. You did it in golf and now you have to do it in pickleball too, right? You can't be satisfied with being a professional golfer. Now you got to stomp on people. But I understand, Sherry, that you and one of your friends, and I think she might even be a fellow fellow golfer, you lost early on to an elder group of ladies, and you're like, "What just happened?" And, exactly. and we have we have to do something about this. Is that true? That's exactly right. We walked in there, and we're gonna take them, and the balls were going by us. We're looking. What is happening to us? Well, there's a you know, there's a strategy and there's a, there's a way to play the game and it's not about banging and uh, you have to have a soft game too. And we didn't understand that at all in the beginning. So when we hit the ball up, they were just putting it past us, but uh, yeah, that really inspired me to, to figure out and study the game and understand what, what I needed to, what I needed to do. And, and um you know, I, I've got a sponsor out there. And again, it's a family owned company. 
Mike and uh, Rob Barnes and their father, Jim, started Selkirk um, in, I guess it was 2014, up in the Northwest. There's the Selkirk Mountains up there, so they named it after after the mountains. And and uh, so there it weaves in the family uh, connection, and it's been a, a great run being being a part of the Selkirk Selkirk team too. Selkirk is more than just you know the equipment too. I mean they they do so much in the community and growing the sport and and um, engaging all generations to play. And um, so they're, they're quite a special, special company done a lot for the game. Don't mess with Sherry Steinhauer. (laughs) That competitive edge that started with the family and your brothers has stuck with you and has made you the champion that you are. And I appreciate your time here on sports jam. Thank you so much. Thank you, Doug. It's been wonderful. You can hear the entire interview with Sherry Steinhauer at WBGO.org slash SportsJam. Thanks for listening to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. You can check out all the past podcasts of the WBGO Journal by going to WBGO.org slash studios. That's where you can find all the WBGO podcasts. Join us next Saturday morning at 530 for another edition of the WBGO Journal on WBGO 88.3 FM and WBGO.org.